1: Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. And so he says, I'm gonna give you a sign and listen up. And the sign is verse 48. Now he that had betrayed him gave them a sign saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. So Judas has told them, Look, Jesus is gonna be surrounded by people. That's the way he is. He's always surrounded by people. There will be the 11 that are closest to him. Those are the disciples. I don't want you to make a mistake and grab one of them. That'd be a disaster if you got the wrong person. And he's gonna be surrounded by many other followers and they're all gonna have beards and they're all gonna have robes and you know, it'd be very easy for you to get it wrong and get the wrong guy. And look, it's gonna be a disaster If you yell out, we got him, and I come and see you got the wrong person, you dummies. So listen to me, because I'm gonna give you a sign, and it's gonna be a positive identification for you to get the right person. And I'm not gonna point to him like he's that one over there because there's gonna be so many around him that it's gonna be very easily, you're gonna get the wrong person. I will not point. I'll go right up to him. I'll go right up to the right person, and I'll kiss his cheek. I'll kiss him and you watch for who I kiss because the person that I kiss is gonna be Jesus and that's the person you need to jump on. Watch for the kiss. That's what he's telling them, see? So Judas, he's finished giving him this instructions to the group, how they're gonna arrest Jesus and his final description after the kiss is, in verse 48, verse 48, his final instruction is, that same is he, Hold him fast. So he's saying, don't mess this up. When I give you the sign of the kiss, jump on him and hold on to him tight, see? So Judas has told the group, look, Jesus doesn't let anyone kiss him, all right? Jesus doesn't hold out his cheek and say, anybody who wants, just come and give me a kiss. He doesn't do that. But I'm one of the 12. And to us, he allows us to come, we put our head on his chest, He allows us to come and give him and kiss him. This is going to be the one and only chance for me to ever give him a kiss. This is it. If you don't grab him and hold him after I kiss him, I will not have another chance to kiss him after that. So this is your one and only chance to get Jesus identified, you to grab and hold him. Don't mess it up. We can just hear him saying all that because Judas is giving these kinds of instructions to the group. So the trap is set, and the trap with the lure of the kiss. In verse 48 are these behind the scenes instructions for setting the trap that Judas gave about the, to his collaborators for the kiss. Now in verse 49, the trap springs, and the trap springs with these words in verse 49, forthwith he came to Jesus. So a few words, but they're shocking. He came to Jesus. This is the picture of Judas coming to Jesus. Judas has been with Jesus at the Passover dinner just a few hours before, but now with these words in verse 49, he came to Jesus, Judas is coming to Jesus, and we see from these words, Judas coming up close to Jesus. He's making his approach, and he did, and as he does that, how do they both feel? What's going through their minds? What's happening in this moment? He came to Jesus. What is he thinking, Judas? What is Jesus thinking as they approach? This was the time when their two faces, the face of Jesus and the face of Judas, got so close, more close, as Judas comes to the cheek of Jesus and their faces touch each other, por favor. And what was that moment like for Jesus? He knew what Judas was doing. It's crystal clear to him, yet he surrendered his cheek to Judas. Isn't it remarkable that Jesus knew that Judas, the betrayer, was leading a band whose goal was to see Jesus murdered, and Jesus still surrenders his cheek to Judas to be kissed? Isn't it remarkable that Judas had set a, a fatal trap for him, and Jesus still surrenders his cheek to Judas to say, for Judas to kiss his cheek? Isn't it remarkable that since Jesus could see the deadly trap that was set for him, when Judas came, Jesus didn't just push Judas away and say, get away from me, you murderer. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that all remarkable? But Jesus did surrender to Judas his cheek for Judas to kiss. And at that moment, in verse 49 of he came to Jesus, all the world stood still. All the world stood still at that moment. At that moment, there were no other disciples there. At that moment, there was no crowd there, there was no one there, because at that moment, in verse 49 of he came to Jesus, there were only two persons there. At that moment, there was only Judas, Jesus and Judas together. That was the moment of verse 49 that he came to Jesus, that determined the destiny of Judas, which was a destiny as Christ had already said in verse 24, verse 24, the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Verse 49, he came close to Jesus was the time When Judas and Jesus were as so close, as touching face to face, and of the many thoughts running through Jesus' mind was this one thought from verse 24, verse 24. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. But then there was also Judas on the other side. What's going through his mind? Judas was there in verse 49, at that moment of he came to Jesus. And as Judas' face got close to Jesus, Surely, you would think that would be the moment when Judas would come to himself and it would say now what he's gonna say later in chapter 27, four, chapter 27, four, when he says, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Surely, it's gonna be a time when Judas gets face to face close to Christ that Judas is gonna say to himself, what am I doing? I'm sinning, I'm betraying innocent blood and I'm gonna stop, I'll kiss another person and let them arrest the wrong person and then Jesus can escape, I repent. But the amazing thing is, Judas doesn't do that. And isn't that what sin does to us? Just like the old song says, the old song, sung by the cathedrals used to sing this song. Sin will take you farther than you wanna go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you wanna stay. Sin will cost you far more than you wanna pay. That's what sin does to us. It takes us farther, it leaves us longer, it costs us more than we want. And this is what we see sin did to Judas. Sin took Judas farther, sin left Judas longer, sin cost Judas more than he had bargained he wanted. And verse 49, when it says, he came to Jesus, when the face of Jesus got as close as ever to the face of Judas, what did Judas see in that face? He saw the majesty of Jesus. He saw the magnificence of Jesus in the face of Jesus. He saw the brightness, the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw that brightness in the face of Jesus. He saw beauty in the face of Jesus. He saw all that in the face of Jesus in verse 49 when it says he came to Jesus. But what Judas really saw in verse 49 of that moment of he came to Jesus was the face of Jesus as Judas had never seen it before. And what was that face that he saw when he got up so close, he touched the face? It was 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God who commendeth, who commandeth, The light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, verse 49, that moment of he came to Jesus, Judas saw in the face of Jesus Christ the glory of God. He saw that. And yet, having seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, he still propels himself into sin. It shows us how awful sin is. And we try, this is our sin we're talking about too. When we try to deal with our sin, we're dealing with a deadly, venomous snake, which reminds me, Loretto has five islands. That are, you know, Coronado is a small island, with a beautiful beach, you know, Carmen's a large island, and there's Donzante, Montserrat, and the most southerly island is Catalan, Catalan, which the American explorers call Catalina, but it's really Catalan, and it doesn't matter. But on Catalan Island, there's two snakes that is famous for The first snake is actually a rattlesnake without a rattle. So he's mutated to not have a rattle. So he's very dangerous. And that's a picture of sin that strikes with no warning. But the second snake, which is unique to Catalan, is the most deadly snake of all. And the locals call it los tres pasos, los tres pasos, which is the three steps. They call that snake the three steps. Why? Because if you get bit by that snake, you take one, two, three, and then you die. So that's why they called Los Tres apostles. But a snake is a picture of sin. It's a picture of sin, the poisonous venom. And Judas was so infected with the venom of sin that even as he got close to the face, he had his face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ, didn't change him, didn't change him at all. He was so close to the face of Jesus that in the kiss in the face of Jesus, he touches the face, he doesn't repent. Whereas from a distance, same time, a little bit later, same time, a little bit later, Peter sees the face of Jesus, total different response. Luke twenty two sixty, 60, Luke twenty two sixty. 60, Peter said, man, I know not the, the, what thou sayest immediately while he yet spake the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter, remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So not face touching face, but from a big distance, Jesus turns his face to look at Peter and just that glance, it melts the heart of Peter to bitter tears. Not so Judas, Judas goes forward with his betrayal to a kiss, a kiss of betrayal, a kiss of hatred, a kiss of deception, a kiss of death. That's Judas's kiss. Just the opposite of the kiss that we are commanded to give Jesus Christ in Psalm 212, Psalm 212. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. That kiss to Jesus Christ is a kiss of trust. That's a kiss of loyalty. That's a kiss of love. That's a kiss of sincerity. That's a kiss of life totally opposite of Judas. And the problem with Judas was that he knew Jesus. He knew him. He knew him and he turned to his sin, which is a problem that so many have in the church or who have been to church. They know Jesus and they turn away. That's why a person who knows nothing about Jesus, otherwise known as the Jews, are often the ones who who learn about Jesus and turn to Jesus. Not often, sometimes they are. What am I saying often? Uh, The batting score that we're seeing in Israel restoration is about one out of a million, but apart from that, it's fine. Anne Frank. Anne Frank, as you all know, was Jewish. Like me, she was raised Jewish. And like me, she knew nothing about Jesus. I came home one day, I said to my dad, dad, I got this fantastic album. The music in this is incredible. This album, it's a great album. And he looks at it, he sees the word Messiah. He says, we don't listen to that. Why not? The music is wonderful. We don't listen to it. Like me, she knew nothing about Jesus. Going to Jewish schools, she never saw a New Testament. I never saw a New Testament. I didn't even know there was such thing as a New Testament. What's a New Testament? The same was true for the father of Anne Frank, with father of Anne Frank. But the Anne Frank family had a life crisis, obviously. Obviously, the crisis was the Nazi death death squads that were operating just below their window, hunting for them. And because of that life crisis, Anne Frank family came into close contact with a Gentile family, the Kleimans, who hid the family in their attic in Holland. And just like I had a, a life crisis, as I read about in my book, and had a close contact with a Gentile named Cheryl. But from their close contact with that Gentile, Mr. Kleiman, and from the Nazi crisis, Anne Frank's father asked Mr. Kleiman for a New Testament so that he could give it to his daughter, Anne Frank. And like me, who took an interest in Cheryl's Bible, and this is the passage from the diary of Anne Frank that shows Anne Frank's father reaching out to Mr. Kleiman for a New Testament, Anne Frank's diary, which is dated November 3rd, 1943, which by the way was last Thursday, was the 78th anniversary of this entry in the Anne Frank diary, and the entry reads like this. To give me a new project as well, this is Anne Frank writing. To give me a new project as well, Father asked Mr. Kleiman for a children's Bible so I could finally learn something about the New Testament. There's two very important words in what Anne Frank wrote. And the two very important words are asked and finally. Asked and finally. I think I'll write a booklet called Finally, just about this. But anyway, Anne Frank's father asked Mr. Kleiman for a copy of the New Testament, essentially. And there in that attic, hiding from the Nazis, Anne Frank's father reaches out with a request to a Gentile for a copy of the New Testament. Anne Frank's Jewish father knew that for all his life and for all the life of his Jewish daughter, Anne, that the truths of the New Testament had been hidden from them. And Anne Frank's Frank's father in that attic says, there's got to be a stop to this purposeful ignorance of the New Testament and who Jesus Christ is. And Anne Frank's father essentially said, today is the day of this stop of the ignorance and Mr. Kleinman is the way for this ignorance to stop for who Jesus really is. And all that's seen in the word asked in Anne Frank's entry there, in her diary. Father asked Mr. Kleinman for a children's Bible. The second word that speaks volumes in what Anne Frank wrote in her diary is the word finally. Anne Frank wrote, I could finally learn something about the New Testament. When Anne Frank writes in her diary, I could finally learn something about the New Testament, that word finally shows a hunger from Anne Frank's heart. It shows a hunger from her heart, the the word Finally, the word finally does not reflect, oh, I don't care attitude, I don't care intellectual interest attitude. Anne Frank's being hunted as a Jew and she's huddled up in an attic, she's a 15-year-old huddled up in an attic with killers that she can hear daily down in the streets thirsting for her blood. So when she writes finally, we can see in her heart a thirst that this 15-year-old had. That was Anne Frank with a thirst for a new hope, so she wanted to learn about Jesus. That was Anne Frank with a thirst for a new deliverance, so she wanted to learn about Jesus. That was Anne Frank with a thirst for a new relationship with the true God, so she wants to learn about Jesus. That was Anne Frank with a thirst for a new life. So she wants to learn about Jesus. And those are the long thirsts in the heart of Anne Frank. And that's why Anne Frank uses the word finally, because it's been going on for such a long time. When she wrote that in her diary, I could finally learn something about the New Testament. Anne Frank had all the Jewish prayers pushed on her, and those did nothing for her as they did nothing for me. Anne Frank had all the synagogue traditions in front of her and those did nothing for her as they did nothing for me. Anne Frank wanted more than Jewish prayers and more than Jewish traditions and Anne Frank wanted God. And we can see this in another entry that Anne Frank put in her diary dated October 29th, years before, October 29th, 1942, when Anne Frank wrote these words. Anne Frank speaking, mother pressed her prayer book into my hands. I read a few prayers in German just to be polite. They certainly sound beautiful, but they mean very little to me. Why is she making me act so religious and devout? So Anne Frank's mother is not like Anne Frank's father. In the time of crisis, Anne Frank's father is reaching out to a Gentile for a New Testament to learn about Jesus for hope. Anne Frank's father is reaching out beyond Judaism. Anne Frank's father is reaching out for Jesus Christ and Anne Frank's father is reaching out for more than religion. Anne Frank's father is reaching out for reality in Jesus Christ which is what I did but in the time of life crisis, Anne Frank's mother is reaching out to Jewish prayers. Anne Frank's mother is reaching out to Jewish religion. Anne Frank's mother is reaching out to be devout. Anne Frank's mother is reaching out to doing good works for hope. And Anne Frank is in the middle of her mother and her father. And Anne Frank writes in her diary Therefore, caught in this middle in October 20, 1942, as I already said, mother passed her prayer book into my hands. I read a few prayers in German, to be polite, but they they certainly sound beautiful, but they mean very little to me. Why is she trying to make me so religious and devout? She writes in her diary that her mother is pressing into her hand a siddur, a Jewish prayer book. And Anne Frank writes in her diary in November 3, 1944, father asked Mr. Kleiman for a children's Bible so I could finally learn something about the New Testament. Her mother is pressing into her hand, into Anne Frank's hand, a Jewish prayer book, and Anne Frank's father is pressing into Anne Frank's hand a New Testament. I am Anne Frank's father, that's what I do. Try to press into the hands of Jewish people a New Testament. That's why I've sent out 10 million copies of the book, Changed. And we just finished a mailing to Mexico City with, with, to the 300,000 Jews there. We're just com- fin- getting ready to send up to the 500,000 Jews in Paris. We're working on getting the names to send them to London the two million Israel, so forth and so on. And not to mention the five million here in the US and as well as the four million Gentiles who live in the same area. Because I'm pressing into the hand, uh, I'm Anne Frank's father pressing into the hand, the New Testament, I am Anne Frank's father, pressing a New Testament into Anne Frank's hand. My Jewish cousin, yesterday, challenges me on the phone, why are you sending your book unsolicited? Oh, unsolicited, the worst word you could possibly say, to Jewish homes. Well, I tell you why. It's because Anne Frank wrote in her diary, she wrote it in October 20, 1942, she did do that. She wrote, Mother pressed her prayer book into my hands. I read a few prayers in German, to be polite. They certainly sound very beautiful. They mean very little to me. Why is she trying to make me act so religious and so so devout? I sent out my book, changed to Jewish people because among the Jewish people there are some Anne Franks still out there who have tasted the Jewish religion and any religion and said they mean very little to me. I sent out my book, changed to Jewish people because among the Jewish people there are Anne Franks who are tired of being made to act so religious and devout. I said in my book, Change, to Jewish people because among the Jewish people, there are the Anne Franks who say, I could finally learn something about the New Testament. And that's why I say I'm Anne Frank's father because i to press into the hand of Anne Frank a copy of the New Testament. Judas Iscariot had turned to Jesus and then turned away from Jesus to his sin. Anne Frank's mother turned to Judaism. And Anne Frank says, I could finally learn something about the New Testament. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being such a great God and being so merciful to all of us, Lord, and uh, especially the Jews who have put themselves in a state of darkness, but yet nevertheless, Lord, you're there also reaching out. Reach out to Jesus. He's reaching out to you in Jesus' name, amen. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.